Praise the Lord. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, this morning with me once again to uh, Luke chapter 10. We're uh, teaching a series on authority, and we've been using as a text scripture the 10th chapter of Luke and the 19th verse. Jesus said to his disciples, this was after they returned from their ministry trip, the, their ministry assignment, they found out that, uh, that the name of Jesus even had power over the devil. And Jesus commented and said in verse 19, Behold, I give unto you power. Now the word power is in the King James uh, translation twice, but they're two different Greek words. The first time the word power is translated, it's the word it means delegated authority. It would literally be better translated authority. The second word means ability, and we understand that to be power. So he says, Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power or ability of the enemy. And nothing, here's how far that authority goes in your own personal life, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing shall hurt you by any means. In other words, there's nothing the devil can do that will hurt you if you use and operate in and stand in your authority. Now, we've talked about authority to... to, um, uh, to some degree, and, and, uh, and we found that the Bible identifies that our authority in our own personal lives in things that pertain to and concern us and only us is unlimited. In other words, the devil doesn't decide whether or not you can get saved. You do. The devil doesn't decide whether or not you can get healed. You do. The devil doesn't decide whether or not you're going to walk in the blessings of God. You do. Nobody makes that decision. Your mama doesn't decide for you. Your daddy doesn't decide for you. Nobody else, your husband or wife, you decide what you will have concerning those things that Jesus has purchased for you, you and only you. We've also found, however, that that authority begins to uh, lessen where it pertains to other people in things even in our own lives where other people are involved. Husbands and wives, for example. I don't have authority over my wife. I wish I did. But I don't have authority over my wife. There are things that we have to discuss and come together in agreement on to exercise our authority together so that we're going in the same direction. So even though she's in my life and I'm in hers, I don't, neither one of us have unlimited authority over the other one. She has authority in her life. I have authority over mine. If I decide we're going to have something that the Bible says belongs to us and she decides something else, we've got a problem. I can walk into, in, in whatever the Bible says is mine to a degree, but I can't take authority over her position. We've also found that that, uh, that goes in, in, uh, in things pertaining to other people. I can't pray for somebody to get healed, believe for healing while they're believing that God sent sickness to, to teach them something. They're not going to get their healing because I don't have authority in their life. Now, it's me, if it's me, you bet I can receive that for myself. But I can't receive it for somebody else. That's why the prayer of agreement is so important. If you get two people in agreement together on what the Bible says, then they have added prayer power through the exercise of that authority to receive and obtain what, uh, what God says is theirs. Now, let's talk a little bit about... Uh, uh, praying for our nation this morning. I want you to look with me to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7 and also 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now when it, comes to, um, when it comes to praying for other people, whether it's one-on-one or whether it's group of people or whether it's a nation, it's all the same thing. And that is those that have authority are the ones that decide. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. You hear this a lot of time, uh, especially in the early part of May around uh, the National Day of Prayer. You'll hear a lot of Christians that'll, that'll really hammer down on this scripture and say, oh, this is what we need to pray. This is what we need to stand on. And this is God talking to Israel. And he said, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. If they will humble themselves and pray. And turn from their wicked ways. 
He said, I will hear them. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now, contrast that with what Paul wrote by the Holy Ghost to the church after it had gone to the Gentiles. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Paul said, I exhort therefore that first of all, intercession, prayers, supplications, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Four types of prayer. Be made for all men. Verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority. Why? That we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God who, verse 4, will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, if God wants everybody to be saved, why didn't he say just pray for everybody to be saved and that will happen? Because you don't have authority over somebody else getting saved. Now, Second Chronicles chapter 7 says, If my people will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, and call on me, I will hear them and I'll heal their land. And that's what everybody wants. Oh, Lord, bring America back to God. Bring America back to the Lord. The problem is you've got a lot of Christians that are on the other side of God. That promise was made to Israel while they were one nation. And remember, God commanded Israel not to intermarry with other people. Why? One reason and one reason only. It had nothing to do with race. had nothing to do with ethnic groups. It had nothing to do with anything except one reason. And that is God said, if you intermarry with other people, you'll take their gods as your own. In other words, he's saying the only way that you can keep yourself walking with God and God first in your life is to reject the gods of other nations. But if you intermarry, then those nations are going to, those, uh, those false gods are going to come in and they're going to mess up your blessing. Why didn't God say that today? Why didn't Paul say, remember the promise that he gave to Solomon when the temple was dedicated about if my people will humble themselves and pray? Why didn't God, why didn't the Holy Ghost tell him that? Because it's a different situation now. Totally different situation now. Folks, I want you to understand something. We've, con- we've established through this series earlier on, I'm not sure which week it was, but we established pretty early on in the series, in Luke chapter 4, Satan identifies himself when he tempts Jesus, he identifies himself as having all the power of the kingdoms of the world. Why don't you turn with me over there to that? Luke chapter 4. Rather than just referring to it or quoting it, let's look at it. It's been several weeks since we saw it, so it would be good for you to see it again. Maybe some of you weren't here when we did. This is when Jesus is being tempted of the devil. Verse 5, he's already tempted tempted him to turn the stones into bread. Now in Luke chapter 4 and verse 5, the devil took him up to a high mountain and showed him all. Everybody say all. That means all of them, doesn't it? That means every kingdom. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And here's what the devil said about all the kingdoms of the world. The devil said unto him, all this power. Now this is the word authority. But it shows that he's in a position to have control. All this authority will I give thee and the glory of them. Now the them that he's talking about and the power of them that he's talking about is the power of the world's kingdoms. He's saying I will give you the authority of all the world's kingdoms and the glory that goes along with that if you will just worship me. Why? For it is delivered unto me and whomsoever I will give it I can do so. He's saying I can give this to anybody I want to. Well, then he must have the authority. We know that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Satan is the God of this world. That pretty much identifies this, doesn't it? How is Satan the God of this world? By controlling the world's kingdoms. By controlling the world's kingdoms. Jesus rejects it, of course, and says God's the only one you ought to serve. I'm not going to worship you for the glory of the kingdoms of the earth, which means Jesus is not after that. He was after a greater glory. He was after greater authority. 
But if we know that the devil works in the world's governmental systems, now all we have to do is find out how does he work. Now, the Old Testament gives us some information about this. Ezekiel chapter 28 tells us about Ezekiel prophesying against the the kingdom of Tyre. Now, there are two people identified. In Ezekiel chapter 28, God says to Ezekiel, take up a lamentation or a prophecy against two people. The one he calls, the first one he calls is the prince of Tyre. Now, he identifies the prince of Tyre as the man that's controlling the earthly kingdom. The man that's king, in other words. Then he says that also prophesy against the king of Tyre. Now, the king of Tyre identifies or implies at least that there is greater power above the man on the earth. The man on the earth is the prince. The man behind the power, Satan who is behind the power, is the king. And then he identifies who this king of Tyre is, this unseen kingdom. He identifies that he was in the garden of God. He identifies that he was covered with every precious stone. He identifies that he was the anointed cherub that covers. In other words, he had an eminent or preeminent position, maybe the highest position on the earth. And he talks about all these things, but he's not talking about Satan in the Garden of Eden that we know of in the Genesis account because that's not how Satan appeared. He goes further and says that this person in the Garden of God, when he was the anointed cherub that covers, was lifted up by the, uh, by the beauty of his wisdom and the, the merchandise of his traffic or his commerce. In other words, there must have been something that was here on the earth that Satan was in charge of or in control of before we ever see the Genesis account where Adam and Eve were created. Now, I know this causes the creation science people fits because there's a school of thought that says the earth is 6,000 years old and everything happened within 6,000 years. Well, that's not really what the Bible says. The Bible says that man was created 6,000 years ago. Adam and Eve were put on the earth 6,000 years ago. But the Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you want to know how, long, how old the, the earth is, all you have to do is figure out how old the heavens are. Now, you may think that I'm, I'm being facetious, facetious, but I'm not. Because we measure distances of other planets and other stars by light years. We identify how far away they are by how long it took the light to get them. And the closest one to us is 2 million miles away. The Bible doesn't say God created the heavens and then he put the earth. It says he created the heavens and the earth. Those both happened at the same time. The earth's just as old as the universe is. And there were a lot of things. The Bible says these are the generations. The Genesis account says these are the generations of the earth when it talks about Adam and Eve. That's strange if if Adam and Eve was the first generation. Now, there had to be something here that was before. And it seems that Satan, when he deceived Adam and Eve, or deceived Eve and, and got Adam to go along with it, it seems that Satan was after the one thing that he had even before the Genesis account of creation, and that was a preeminent position here on the earth. You remember in Luke chapter 10, before Jesus says that he gives, uh, before he identified, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Before he said that, in the very pre- the verse preceding, he said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven to the earth. Well, when? When there was a war in heaven and Satan rebelled and tried to take over heaven. He had the earth. Apparently, he was in charge in some position, in some manner, in the earth, rebelled against God, and that's when he was cast out back to the earth. So it seems that Satan is trying to get the authority back on the earth in the Garden of Eden that we know of in Genesis. It seems that he's trying to get the authority back on the earth that he had before Adam and Eve were ever created. 
And that's the authority he's operating in now through world government systems. We know that same thing to be true about other world governments. Satan said himself, all the kingdoms of the world were, uh, were in his power. He had authority and he could deliver that to anybody that he wanted to. You remember Daniel's uh, vision. Uh, well, his interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, really. It wasn't a vision of his. Nebuchadnezzar had a vision in the night and he saw this giant statue. It had a gold head, silver and brass, uh, what was it, brass uh, chest and then different elements and things all the way down to the toes where they were iron and clay. Well, Daniel interpreted this, dr- this dream to be the, the kingdoms of the earth. The gold head was Nebuchadnezzar. It was the Babylonian kingdom. The brass was the Assyrian that came next. The, what was it? The, something about the waist was the Medo-Persians that came after that. After that, it was the Greeks. And finally, the, the legs and the toes were the Romans. So what does that tell us? It tells us that all of those kingdoms were under Satan's authority, just like the kingdom of Tyre was in Ezekiel chapter 28. Satan is always governed according to world systems. He's always trying to dominate the world through governmental systems. And he does that by working behind the scenes. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you look at any of these world systems, whether it's Tyre, whether it's Babylon, whether it's the Medo-Persian, the Assyrians, whoever it is, you can find historical evidence that these were barbaric nations. And there were murderous things that they did, terrible things that they did. But as it relates to the people of God, they all had a common theme. And that is this. They conquered them. Now, God's word says, God's promise, when he brought them into the promised land, he said, the only way that any people will ever be able to conquer you is one and only one way, and that is if you turn away from the word. Not one of those kingdoms, not one of those great world powers would have been able to conquer them, would have been able to do anything to hinder them whatsoever if they'd stuck with the word. Egypt was the world's power and God delivered them from the hand of Egypt like that when they chased, them in after the, uh, chased in after them in the Red Sea. That's the way God works when you walk according to his word. You turn away from his word, all kinds of bad stuff happens. And that's the promise, the, really the curse that he warned Israel against. He said, if you turn away from the word, if you give up on doing my law, He said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be dominated by world government systems that God knew already was under the hands of of Satan. He's saying, if you want to stay out of Satan's control, operate according to the word. But if you don't, here's your future. So when it came to the people of God, number one, they conquered them. After they were conquered, after Israel was conquered, every one of the world systems dominated and oppressed Israel by taxation. You remember that was a big issue when, uh, when Jesus was here on the earth. Does your master pay taxes? Peter was afraid. Well, yeah, sure. Of course we pay taxes. Then Jesus had to ask him and say, why would you say that? But even then, he showed him how supernaturally to pay the taxes that even weren't due. You remember that was a story that, or a, a, a situation that occurred in Jesus' ministry where somebody says, what about Caesar? Do you, do you yield to Caesar? Are you under Caesar's power? And Jesus said, show me a coin. And so they showed him a coin, and he said, whose face is that on the coin? He said, that's Caesar. And he says, then give Caesar what's Caesar's and what's God and God what is his. Which means what's Caesar's or the world government's is not the same as what's God's. So we see that Satan tries to dominate and oppress the people of God, just as they did in the Old Testament, through force and through taxation. And then we see... In Daniel chapter 10, 
where Daniel is praying about the word. He sees that the promise is, is uh, of, of release, the promise of, uh, of freedom for Israel is due. And so he starts praying, Lord, what about this? When is this going to happen? When is this going to take place? Finally, an angel, after 21 days, Daniel's been fasting now for 21 days, a partial fast anyway. He's been fasting for 21 days, and an angel appears and says, I came from heaven from the first day that you asked your question. But for 21 days, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. Now, who is this? It can't be the natural king of Persia. It can't be some man. A man can't stop an angel. Who is he talking about? This is some demonic power. This is some satanic agent that is sent to stop the angel from getting the revelation to Daniel that he needs, which would fulfill some of the prophecies and and be the foundation for some of the prophecies that he delivers about the end times. So what do we see that Satan does? We see, first of all, that the kings of all these nations, Babylon, Tyre, uh, Greece, Rome, all these guys were satanic agents to fulfill Satan's agenda on the earth against the people of God. Now, I know people get uncomfortable when you say it that way, but if you're promoting Satan's agenda, that means you're working on his behalf, right? I don't care if you're Christian or not. If you're working, you remember Jesus when he asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, Simon Barjona, but my Father which is in heaven. He said, you were just inspired of God to say that. Then he turns around and starts telling them about how he's going to Jerusalem and going to be crucified and killed and raised again the third day. And Peter speaks up again. Good old Peter. It's good to know when to keep your mouth shut, I guess. He didn't. He speaks up and says, not so, Lord. Now, folks, you need to understand. You can't say, not so, Lord. You can say, no, which is what not so means. You can say, no, or you can say, Lord, but you can't say, no, Lord. Because as soon as you say no, he's not Lord. And that's what a lot of people do with the Bible. They're saying no to the Bible and then trying to say Jesus is their Lord. And it doesn't work that way. You remember how Jesus answered Peter that time? He said, not so, Lord. Be it not so unto you. He said, get behind me, Satan. Now, Peter's just as much a disciple as he was before. He loves Jesus just as much as he did when he, when he spoke by the inspiration of God. But what is he doing? Now he's promoting Satan's agenda. Now he's speaking on behalf of the devil saying, it shouldn't be like that. And when you take sides against what Jesus says, when you take sides against the word, you're promoting the devil's agenda. You become a satanic agent. So the, king of all the, the kings of all these nations were satanic agents. Every one of them. The angel told Daniel in Daniel chapter 10, I've come for your words and I left the first day, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. And if it weren't for Michael, one of the greatest angels that came, one of the greatest angels who came to help me, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have been able to get through. But now I'm come to give you the revelation that you asked for. So what do we see that satanic agents do? What do we see that world kingdoms, the power, the satanic power behind world kingdoms do relative to the people of God? Well, we've already seen that they try to conquer them and dominate them. We've already seen that they try to oppress them with taxes. Now we see they try to stop the going forward of the word, the progress of the word. Because if Daniel doesn't get the revelation he needs, he can't prophesy what God tells him to do. He wouldn't have understanding. So the angel says, now I've got to go back and fight some more. Now, folks, please understand, there is not a continuous war going on in heaven. 
It's not like the devil rebelled against God and God started a fight and it's been going on for, for thousands and thousands of years. No, the Bible says Satan was cast out of heaven like that. He fell to the earth as lightning. If you've ever seen lightning fall to the earth, it does not float. It hits the earth. That's the comparison between God's power and Satan's power. Satan rebelled, God spoke, Satan fell. Just like that. But when it comes to the world's systems, when it comes to the kingdoms of this world, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places. Rulers of the darkness of this world. Those are the satanic agents, the demonic powers that are working behind government systems. Is this making any sense? How do we see that Satan works in the earth? He works through government systems. Now turn with me over to Mark chapter 10. Jesus tells us there are two systems. Mark chapter 10. Pastor Mike, I thought you were going to talk to us about how to pray for the country. Well, I am, but you've got to understand how things work before you can pray. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Most of the prayer that's done in the, in the body of Christ about the world, about government, and about the church is ineffective because it's not Bible-based. Jesus starts talking about world systems and world governments, and notice what he says in verse, uh, well, I guess we better set the context of this. John and, uh, and James come to Jesus and, and, um, uh, and, and said, you know, we want you to do something for us. And Jesus said, well, what is it that you want? And they said, well, we want one of us to sit on your right hand and one of us to sit on your left hand in glory. That made the rest of the group really happy. Because what they're saying is we want a place over all these other guys. We want the top two seats over all these other guys. Well, the, the, the other ten, they were ripped. Who are you and why didn't we think of that first? And then Jesus explains to him in verse 42. That's the context of what's going on. Jesus says in verse 42, You know that those which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles. Now one translation says those that are so-called rulers of the Gentiles. Another translation says those that, have recognized, those that are recognized rulers or those that are supposed to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship. This word lordship in the Greek means control. So the rulers of the world exercise control over them, over their subjects. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Another translation, Weymouth's translation says, and men make them feel their authority. Another translation says, men tyrannize over their subjects. So you can see the context that he's talking about. He says, you know how it works in the world. Here's how the world system works. Here's how the, the government of the Gentiles works. Now, at this point in time, Israel is still under the same mandate of the Old Covenant. Don't intermarry. Walk according to the Word. And that's the only way you can have the blessings of God. They have forfeited that because they're under Roman rule at the time Jesus says this. And so they well understand the Gentiles' authority and, and the way world government systems work. He says, you know how it works in the world. The rulers, the recognized rulers of the Gentiles, exercise control over them and they force people to do things. But, not, but it shall not be so as among you. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever shall be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you shall be chiefest shall be servant of all. For, here's the second example. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. The word minister means to serve. He said, I didn't come to be served. 
I didn't come to exercise authority over anybody, but I came to serve you and to give my life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is saying there's two kinds of governments. There's a kind of government that controls, and there's a kind of government that serves. Now, unfortunately, the world has redefined the word serve to include elected officials as public servants. So let's define our terms. Let's define them as Jesus is talking about. He said, I didn't come to serve or to be served, but I came to serve others. So what does that mean? Well, what did Jesus do? If we want to know what serving is, all we've got to do is identify what Jesus did. He did two main things. He freed people and he empowered them. His life, offered as a ransom for many, freed you from spiritual death, sickness, and poverty. And he empowered you by giving you the Holy Ghost and, the, and his name is uh, the authority of his name. So the two things that serving, the kingdom of God serving does is set you free and empower you. So Jesus is making the distinction between that which controls and that which frees and empowers. Now, folks, there is always, always has been, always will be an inverse relationship between control and freedom. When it comes to the world systems, let's talk about our country for a little bit. When it comes to the world systems, the more the government has control, the less you have individual freedom. The more you have individual freedom, the less the government has control. And, folks, every political issue, every political election, every political event comes down to that one thing. Is it about control or is it about freedom? I don't care what promise you hear. Everything comes down to that, control versus freedom. Because Jesus said there's only two kinds of government. There's only two results that can occur, control or freedom. That's all there is. He didn't say there's two among many. He said that's all there is. Every issue comes down to that does it provide greater control for the government does it provide greater freedom for the individual because the more freedoms you give up the more government has control and the only way the government can get control is for you to give up your freedom therefore back to praying for our country second timothy chapter two again paul said by the holy ghost i exhort therefore that first of all, prayers, supplications, intercessions, and giving the thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority. Why? That we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. God's will is for you to live a, a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and honesty. And it goes further and says, God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants that to happen. He sent Jesus for it to happen, but he can't control whether it does. Now, here's the problem. The problem is you've got Christians who are accepting government control because they think that's part of God's plan. And it never is. And it never is. What we've got in the body of Christ today is we've got people that are praying, Lord, your will be done on one side of political issue and on the other side, You've got Christians that are saying, Lord, your will be done because this party is doing it. So you've got Christians praying against Christians, hoping for the will of God to occur. And how's that going to work? That's like two Christian schools having a baseball game and both sides praying to win. How's God answer that?
Now, folks, as I said, everything comes down to it. Jesus was very clear about this. He said everything comes down to this. The world system is control. God's system is serving, freeing and empowering. Everything comes down to that. And there's this seesaw effect. The higher the control, the lesser the freedoms. Now, folks, everything comes down to that. I don't care if you call it hope and change. I don't care if you call it taxing the rich. I don't care if you call it being on the right side of history on gay marriage. Everything comes down to that. Every issue comes down to the seesaw effect between control and freedom. Everything does. Now, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm setting, this exa- setting the foundation, laying the foundation for this because of something the Lord told me. When, um, uh, before the last election, before the last presidential election, um, I was really concerned. Because uh, it, it's kind of funny to me, because uh, I've heard this a lot, and, uh, and I don't know how prevalent it is nationally, but it seems to be somewhat common. I've had a lot of people say, you know, I prayed for President Obama, but now, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I misstated that. They said, I voted for President Obama, but now I've really been surprised at how he's governed. And I'm thinking, why in the world would you be surprised? Did you not see what was going on before it happened? I can't believe that anybody wouldn't see it. It was so clear to me. And, and I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I can't understand how anybody wouldn't know. But I've had so many Christians say, yeah, I've just been so surprised. Things haven't gone the way that I thought they would go. Why? Because they got caught up in hope and change. And they forgot it's about control versus freedom. Folks, it's always about that. No matter what anybody promises, it's always about control versus freedom. Always. Always. Now, over the last couple of weeks, I've been equally amazed at uh, since President Obama has made his uh, statement about gay marriage, being personally for gay marriage, I've been amazed to see how the church has reacted. Because immediately there was an outcry of pastors, most of them black pastors, at least that were reported on. I don't know how it went otherwise. But I saw a, a number of, of pastors that, that said, this is it. Can't, we just can't agree with this. We as Christians and Christian pastors, we just can't agree with that. And then within days, they wind up going on some interview show and say, well, now I understand how I can reconcile. And they twist themselves into knots, saying, now I see how I can reconcile the president's personal position with my belief as a Christian and what I preach from the Bible. And I'm thinking, you ought to be kidding So is that what's happening now? Is that what we're going to do? Is the church going to compromise everything according to what the Bible says in order to stick with some political party? Seriously? Folks, I don't know if you realize this or not. It's easy to look at the Old Testament and think, well, that's how things were then. It's the same way now. You turn away from the Word and domination and control is your future. Same thing's true today as it was then. The Word hadn't changed. God hadn't changed. So in, uh, uh, I kind of saw how things were going. I, I, I don't know if it was the Lord showing me. I don't know if it was just me being afraid of how things were going to happen or, or I don't know what it was. But I began praying just early on. said, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to pray for this president if he gets elected. How in the world am I going to pray? Now, the, the easy answer is, well, you're supposed to pray for your leaders. And I get so fed up with Christians that say, well, we're just supposed to pray for our president, whether we agree with them or not. We're just supposed to pray for our president. 
You've got to be kidding me. What am I supposed to pray? That he's going to change his mind? He's not going to change his mind. He doesn't want to change his mind. Folks, all this, I'm surprised at how things have gone since the election stuff, is hogwash. It's gone exactly the way that he's wanted to. He would rather the unemployment rate be a little lower so he could get reelected. But outside of that, it's gone exactly the way he wanted it to. And if you think it's not going to get worse the next time around, buckle up. Because it's all about control versus freedom. Have you seen anything happen from this administration that is, uh, has provided freedom for you? I see a lot of the same things that we see in the Old Testament. I was amazed. Well, I'm, I'm getting off my story. I'm, Lord, I really mean, please let me stay out of the way of what you want to say. Because I don't want this to be about me and what I think. I'm trying to show you things from the Bible, show you principles from the Bible. That's all I'm interested in. What you do with it from there, my hands are clean. I'm not responsible for anybody but me. So anyway, I started asking the Lord, how am I supposed to pray? How am I supposed to pray for this president? And the Lord said, well, you know what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I said, well, of course I know what it says. That's not what I mean. How am I supposed to apply that to him? I know what he's trying to do. Am I supposed to pray that you would, what? That you're going to change his mind? Folks, God couldn't change his mind if he wanted to. And he does. God doesn't have that authority in his life. He has. The individual has the authority. He can reject God from now till eternity. Everybody can. You can't just pray God change his mind. That's not going to work. That's not going to be the thing that, that motivates him. God's going to change the mind of any of these Old Testament rulers? That wasn't the answer. The answer was for the people of God to operate according to the word. That was their answer. So, Lord, how do I pray for them? Well, First Timothy chapter 2. Who does it say to pray for? And I said, well, the Bible says to pray for kings and those that are in authority. And he said, and who is that? I said, well, in our case, in America's case, that'd be the president and cabinet members and members of Congress and, you know, judges and people like that. And the Lord's answered me just this way. These were as close to word for word as I can get to it. The Lord said, hmm. Well, that got my attention because that's the way he answered me. He said, hmm, I thought America was established for the people to be in authority. I thought, oh, now I've got a way to pray. Now I've got a way to pray. From that point forward, I've been praying for the people. I've been praying for the church, the people of America. Now, in 2009, I had a vision while I was praying, and I saw Obama reelected. Now, I haven't, I've shared that individually with a couple of people, but I've never said anything about that personally. And the reason I haven't said anything about it personally because I don't want that to happen. Not for me personally, but for the good of the country. I know that just as the king of Tyre was an agent of Satan because he's promoting Satan's agenda, you've got the same thing with our present president. Now, are you saying he's not saved, Pastor Mike? No, that's none of my business. I don't know whether he is or not. I, I'm surprised that his position on gay marriage was such in 2008 before the election that marriage was between a man and a woman as a Christian, according to his answer. He said, as a Christian, I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. Well, now that marriage is not just between a man and a woman, in his opinion, does that mean he's not a Christian anymore? What does that mean? What's changed? I don't know. That's not for me to say. But I do know this, Christian or not, he's promoting Satan's agenda. 
You know as well as I do that the Democratic Party, the, 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 the hallmark of the Democratic Party is abortion. Justify that according to the word for me. You've got this present president who as a senator par, uh, voted for partial birth abortions. As a state senator in Illinois, he went even further than that. He enacted or uh, he promoted a law. He uh, sponsored a law, I guess is what it's called. He sponsored a law that if an abortion was ever botched and the baby was born alive, medical staff was prohibited from giving it care. They had to set it on a table until it died. Justify that according to the Bible. I wish somebody asked ask him about that. I want to hear as a Christian... I believe that babies ought to be set aside and let die for the right of a woman to choose. Seriously? Is that where the church has come to? Now, folks, here's the reason why I'm talking about this. I believe with all my heart this next election is about the church. It's not about America. It's about the church. The saying used to be, as General General Motors goes, so goes America. That's never been true. What is true and has always been true is, as the church goes... So goes America. There's never been a clearer choice. You've got two political parties. One that is actively promoting the devil's agenda. That's the Democratic Party. You can't find anything that they're doing. And folks, please, please, please don't get caught up in this hate the rich stuff. God is the God of the rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says that Jesus was made poor for your sake that you through his poverty might be rich. If there's a problem with being rich, God's a sinner. Furthermore, the Bible says that God lifts the poor and the needy out of the dunghill. Don't you get caught up in this rich stuff. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 that one of the works of the flesh is a willingness to deprive others to get for yourself. And that's all in the world this 99% junk is about. Don't you get caught up in that as a Christian. The Bible says otherwise. So there's never been a clearer choice for the church. Well, does that mean that all Republicans are godly? (laughs) That can't be a serious question on anybody's mind, can it? Not at all. But folks, every issue is about the same thing. It's about control versus freedom. And there is always that seesaw effect. The, more, the greater the government control, the less the individual freedom is. And the less the individual freedom, less individual freedom there is, the less freedom there is to preach the gospel. Now, folks, the Bible talks about things in the end times. It talks about food police. See any of that? Where's it coming from? Paul said in the last days, men will command to abstain from meats. In other words, they'll try to control what you eat. I'm getting kind of tired of people telling me what I can eat and what I can't eat. I mean, there's control being exercised in every area of our lives. I hate those curly Q light bulbs. I hate those things. They don't work. The saying used to be, the guy is so quick he can turn the light on and be in bed before it comes on. Nowadays with the Charlie Q light bulbs, you can take your time and be in bed before the things come on. (laughs) Folks, it's all about control. It's about people telling you what you can do and what people, uh, people telling you what you can't do. Every bit of it is about control. Every bit of it. Now, why did I tell you what I saw in 2009? Well, here's the reason why I had it on my heart. 
to share with you finally. In 2009, I saw President Obama being reelected. Well, I know that's death to the country. We already know that he's told the Russian, amb- the Russian prime minister, the outgoing Russian prime minister, he'll have more flexibility in his second term. Yeah. Gee, that makes me feel secure. How about you? Who's he trying to appease? It can't be the people that want him to take a stronger stand for a country. So why is that? Well, I've been praying for, since 2009. I've been praying for the church to wake up. But I always had this idea, this thing in my mind that, but I know what's going to happen. He's going to be reelected, and that's the way it's going to be. And all of a sudden, not too long ago, it's been, uh, well, I don't know, maybe six months ago now. The Lord just witnessed to my heart. He didn't say anything to me, just there was a witness to my heart. How do you know that's going to happen? Because I saw it. And then I was reminded of Hezekiah in Isaiah chapter 38. Isaiah heard from the, from the prophet what was going to happen for the purpose of him changing it. Well, for the last six months, I've been praying differently. Now I'm not praying because of what I've seen. I'm praying to change what I saw. And I still hope that can happen. But folks, you need to understand. Have you ever, ever noticed around election time, everybody becomes Christian? All the candidates become Christians? They show up in church. They say, oh, yeah, I've been a member of this church for 20 years. Never have come, but I've been a member of this church for 20 years. Why is that? Because with the population, the demographics that show the number of people in America that claim to be Christians, you can't get elected dog catcher without a Christian vote. Now, what does that mean? That means the church is responsible for every president we've ever had. Every one of them. If the church would ever unite in a vote, nobody else would have a chance. Nobody. And it wouldn't even be close. It wouldn't even be close. So what do you do? You've got to divide people. And isn't that the way the devil works in the church? If you can divide people, let's divide them into denominations first of all. And then let's divide the denominations according to, to likes and dislikes. And that's exactly what's going on in this election now. You got them dividing rich against poor. Got them, got them dividing gays versus straights. Got them dividing blacks versus whites. And who's doing the dividing? Who's the one raising these issues? Near as I can tell, the Republicans want to talk about the economy. But who's doing all the other dividing? It's the Democrats. Now, folks, you may think I'm a, I'm a Republican. I'm not. I'm a conservative. In other words, I'm way up here on the freedom scale. Way down here on the government control scale. Unfortunately, the Republicans seem to be somewhere around here. And I'm not for that at all. The Democrats, however, seem to be about here. So that makes it an easy choice for me. But, folks, I'm not talking about political issues. I'm talking about Bible issues. How are we supposed to pray for our country? Just imagine, just imagine for just a moment that instead of dividing between Republicans and Democrats, blacks or whites, rich or poor, imagine if the church looked at it and said, well, whether I'm rich or poor doesn't matter. 
whether I'm black or white doesn't matter, whether I'm Republican or Democrat doesn't matter. What matters to me most is what the Bible says God wills for his people. And, and voted according to, oh, I don't know, something like the Bible. instead of any of these other issues that mean nothing where eternity is concerned, where would America wind up? America would wind up God-centered. There wouldn't be a candidate that would dare, dare do something where abortion is concerned, to promote abortion, to promote gay rights, homosexual marriage, whatever it is, wouldn't do a thing to promote this class warfare stuff because the church would stand up and say, nope, here's what the Bible says instead. And folks, that's what the founding fathers envisioned. That's what they envisioned. So how do we pray for a country? I can't pray for the Republicans to win. I can't pray for the Democrats to lose. Because none of those prayers can be Bible-based. I don't have any foundation for that. I mean, if I said, well, Lord, you know that the Democrats are promoting Satan's agenda. I'm sorry, I know that sounds bad, but give me another way to say it. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I know we've got Democrats in the church. How else do you say it? I've seen the church twist itself in knots over the last couple of weeks trying to say, here's why gay rights are, are okay with God. Well, the God that doesn't change wasn't really for gay rights in Sodom and Gomorrah. So I don't know what position somebody else is coming from. Yeah, but it's, it's all about love and mercy now. Really? Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Dividing between right and wrong. Dividing between truth and lie. That's the division God makes. And that's the only one he makes. So I'm sorry if it's offensive, offensive to somebody for me to say it this way. Give me a better way to say it. Doing the best I can here. This is not what I wanted to preach this morning. So you've got a situation where the church is choosing between likes and dislikes. rather than what the Bible says. I wonder what Israel's reason for turning away from the word was. What reasons did Israel have for turning away from the word that brought them into bondage and captivity? I wonder if they had well-meaning people. I wonder if there were times where people said, well, you know, the word just seems so hard in that area. Maybe we ought to just... You know, these are good people over here. Maybe we ought to just give them a break. Let's just accept that. Well, we see that taking place in the New Testament in the church at Corinth where the stepson took his father's wife away from him and was living openly in sin. They were all turning a blind eye and saying, oh, well, you know, people just fall in love in different ways, you know. What did Paul do about that? What, what did the Holy Ghost instruct Paul to do? Take a loving attitude toward it? Paul said, if you guys aren't going to do something about this, then I will. Next time you're gathered together, my spirit will be there too. And I've delivered him over Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. See, folks, you need to understand, compassion for someone is never a reason to break your principles. 
I wonder if the church today has any principles. Because it's all this mercy stuff. See, some people will say, yeah, but Pastor Mike, I've had Christians tell I've had pastors tell me this. But, yeah, but Pastor Mike, the Democrats, they want to give to the poor. No, they don't. They want you to pay more taxes. They couldn't care less about giving to the poor. If they cared about giving to the poor, you'd see that happening from them personally. <laughs> but all the people that talk about paying your fair share, they're not giving to the poor. And folks, please remember, Jesus said there's a difference between what's Caesar's and what's God's. Give to each one what's due them. You paying higher taxes for a welfare situation is not the equivalent of you giving to the poor. You giving to the poor is you acting on the word for yourself. The government having welfare, that has nothing to do with giving to the poor. That has everything to do with you paying more taxes. And folks... The people that are trying to gain control over you, they don't care what your tax money is used for as long as more of your tax money comes in. They don't care because the more your tax money comes in, the more control they have over your lives. It's about control versus freedom. That's the only issue there is. It's the only issue there ever will be. Jesus said so. It's about control versus God's kingdom which serves how well do you feel like you're being served by the government? I'm not being served very well at all. I found out a couple of years ago I'm rich. From the government standpoint. Well, I knew I was rich from God's standpoint. But I didn't know the government recognized me as such. I found out that from God's point of view that has blessings attached to it. From the government's point of view, that just means they want me to pay more. For what? For what? So that they have more control over me? Folks, the more they take from me, the less money I have to give to the gospel. Which do you think is more important to me? So how do you pray for your country? Pray that the Democrats lose and the Republicans win or vice versa? depending on where you're at. It's not going to work. How are you going to pray for your country? If the people that are pulling the levers to vote are the ones that have the authority, then the ones to pray for are the people that are pulling the levers. And if the church would ever really get serious about that, if the church would ever really get serious to pray for the rest of the church, even the ones they don't like, if the church would ever really get serious about that, then God would move in such a way that people would have an absolute choice to see clearly. Now, God's not going to make them choose the right thing. They still have the right to choose against what they know is right. But God would show it. God would open the eyes of people and show it. He would open the eyes of people and show it. Folks, you need to know something. I don't have a lot of... Well, let me say it this way. I wish I had greater confidence in the church putting the word first. I really do. I wish I was optimistic and said, oh, yes, God will move and people will see. And once they see, everybody just wants to do the right thing and they'll change their political affiliation or they'll change their ideas on certain issues and and do what's right. I wish I had that confidence. I don't. It's not going to keep me from praying. But I don't have that confidence. As such... I'm not real hopeful for the church world at large. But I tell you what I am hopeful about. 
The Bible says Jesus is coming for a glorious church. What is a glorious church? A glorious church is a church that is a doer of the word, made up of people that are acting on the word of God no matter what the rest of the world is doing around them, no matter what other Christians are doing around them. Folks, if I have ever seen a missionary, it's me. Because my idea of a Christian in Southern California is not the normal Southern California idea of a Christian. We're here to make disciples, doers of the word. I'm not here for converts. Converts are great. But if we just convert somebody and then don't go any further with them, what have we really done? Let other people make the converts. I don't care about that. Well, that sounds bad. Of course I care about that, but you know what I mean. That's not my main focus. My main focus is to make disciples of people. And Jesus said, you can't be a disciple unless you continue in my word. There's a lot of people that are saying, Lord, we called on your name. And he's going to say, I didn't know you. That doesn't mean they're not saved. But it's certainly going to mean they're not doers of the word. But there is a segment of the population, the church population. There is a segment of the church that is going to do exploits in the name of Jesus because they are going to see the power of God in demonstration. I believe that's you. I'm determined it's going to be me. I'm determined. If I'm the last man standing, it's going to be me. So I'm greatly optimistic about that. The Bible says that in the last days, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of God's glory. Now, how does that fit? Well, if you've got most of the church world that chooses to continue on the way that they're going, distracted by the things around them, caught up in the affairs of this life, whatever it is, whatever terminology you want to use. If you've got the majority of the church world that are doing things according to their comfort and convenience, and then you've got a segment of the church that's operating according to the word and doers of the word. What does that mean? That means the glorious church is going to be doing a lot of the work. That means God's going to do signs and wonders and miracles. It means he's going to do spectacular things through those who will step out and be obedient to what the Bible says. Part of that's pray. Part of that's praying for the rain. Part of that's praying for your fellow Christians. I've never prayed for the church more strongly than I'm praying now because I've never felt like there was a time that was more critical for the body of Christ than now. People have played church too long. It's time to get serious about things. And if we get serious about living the life that we're supposed to live according to the Word, guided by the instruction of the Word and not by what other people are doing, quit looking at other people and comparing ourselves to them and start comparing ourselves to what the Bible says, that's when we're going to see the glory of God in manifestation. And that's the only thing that's going to bring it. It's the only thing that's going to bring it. Folks, I'm looking for signs and wonders and miracles in a great degree. I would prefer that someone is elected to be our president that does not promote the devil's agenda. But even if somebody is elected or re-elected that promotes the devil's agenda, it's not going to stop the doers of the word. The church that acts on the word of God will be just as free and operate above that world system as if it wasn't even there. And that's what I'm looking for. Either way, that's what it's going to be like for me. I hope everybody under the sound of my voice, whether in this building or on TV or on the Internet, however people see us or hear us, I hope everybody under the sound of my voice recognizes that this is the most critical hour that has ever been for the church. I believe with all my heart we're going to have to stand before the Lord and answer for why we operated the way that we did. 
whether it was according to the way that the world goes or the way that the Bible says. I believe every one of us are going to have to answer for it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to know the truth. Father, you said that we should pray for the rain in the time of the latter rain. That's exactly what we do, Father. We ask you for a moving of the Holy Ghost. We know that the Holy Ghost is not in heaven, so he's not going to be poured out in heaven like he was in Acts chapter 2. But instead, the Holy Ghost is here on the earth in the church, operating in and through the church. So we pray, Father, for a move of the Holy Ghost from among your people. We pray especially, Father, in these months coming up to the election that you would move in a mighty, mighty way upon everyone and among everyone that names the name of Jesus. Everybody that claims to know you, Father, we pray that you would show yourself strong. Demonstrate yourself, Lord, in such a manner so that Christians would see the difference between you and the world system. That they would see the importance of being doers of the word. That they would see the power of the word in action, Father. Oh, Father, if it were possible for all of the Christians in America to be gathered together and pray for our land, even as Second Chronicles chapter 7 says, we know you'd turn things around. But that's not the case right now. So we pray that you would bring them to the knowledge of the authority that they have in Christ. Bring them to the knowledge of your way versus the world's way. Show them, Father, the difference between your purpose and the devil's purpose. Oh, Father, we're asking you to do something spectacular. Do something spectacular, Father. Now, we're not putting all of our cards on the, on the election, Father, because we know you're the same no matter who's elected. And we pray, therefore, Father, that the glory of God would be seen upon the doers of the word, no matter who is elected, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what happens between now and the election. Thank you, Father, for showing yourself strong. Thank you, Father, for signs and wonders and miracles. Thank you for opening doors of utterance for the gospel to be preached in places that has never been preached before. Thank you, Father, for raising up safe guides to minister your word. Not only in speech, Father, but in the character of Jesus evidenced in their lives. Oh, Father, what a wonderful time that you've chosen for us to live. What a critical time for the world and what an exciting time for the church, the true believers, your disciples, those that do your works, Jesus. Oh, Father, you've been so good to us. We ask for our brothers and sisters that you would forgive them for having turned away from your truth, for having accepted political ideas instead of the word. Forgive them, Father. They didn't know what they were doing. But turn their hearts in every way that you can, Father. Show them the truth that they can make the decision to choose you. Not just as their Savior, but as the Lord of their lives. We ask these things, Father, in the precious and holy name of Jesus.
trust you, Father. We trust you with our future. We trust you with the future of this country. We know that men will wax worse and worse. But we believe that the glory of God will be seen more and more and more. And we believe, Father, that the glory of God will swallow up the evil doings of men. So that the name of Jesus is magnified. We bless you, Father. We worship you. We glorify your name. We thank you, Father, for doing great things. In Jesus' precious name. Everybody that agrees with that, say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, let's all stand together. If you want to pray with us some more about this, be with us this evening at, uh, this afternoon at 5 o'clock. These are the kind of things that we've been praying about for the last numbers of years. God bless you. Have a great day. We love you. We appreciate your desire for the things of God. We appreciate your willingness to put the word of God first. We believe it will pay off in a great, great way. In Jesus' name, God bless you.